how you have fallen from the heavens, you destroyer of nations. Are you just watching? Episode 109, X-Men Apocalypse, Part 1. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we decided to fall back on another old movie. Though this isn't as old as the last movie we did. That wasn't in theaters, I should say. Because our last movie was in the theaters. But it is an older movie. It's actually not even the most recent X-Men movie. Because there has been another one out since this one came out. There has indeed. We had a recommendation from one of our listeners who has joined our group on Facebook, which you can make recommendations yourself if you come join us at areyoujustwatching.com slash community. He said he looked through our archives and we hadn't done an X-Men movie. And I'm like, you're right, we haven't. And Mm X-Men happens to be some of my favorite movies. I have loved almost all of them. I haven't seen them all, but I have seen most of them. Which one haven't you seen? I have not seen... Dark Phoenix, and I have not seen Logan. Yeah, okay. It's I, We talked about Logan the other day, but that one's rated R, so yeah. it's sort of uh, not surprising. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, Logan Wolverine is my favorite character, and I kind of would like to see it, but at the same time, I just haven't felt the need to, to see a rated R movie. Mm-hmm. Just haven't seen it yet. And Dark Phoenix, I haven't been able to get my hands on yet. I do want to see it. I just haven't yet. As I think about it, I want to say that Logan probably is not much worse, if any worse, as far as the content than Daredevil was on Netflix. Yeah. But Daredevil didn't have a rating because, you know, it was. Well, it did. It did. It was rated. Yeah, it was rated for mature audiences, which is the TV version of rated R. So it would be about the same, I guess. Mm -hmm. There are levels of rated R, and there are <laughs> Daredevil fell within the range that I'm comfortable watching, and but there are some that don't. So it it kind of there's a give and take there. Yeah, most of their mature audience rating was due to violence, and I can usually handle violence. It's the sex scenes and the language that tend to get to me on mm-hmm. a lot of rated R's. I can understand that. So, I do love X-Men. As I've said, Wolverine is my favorite character. Most of these movies tend to have a definite feel for their music, and I didn't go back to look to see whether John Ottman, who is the composer of the music in Apocalypse, has composed all of them, or whether he was just making use of the themes. He actually did all but one, because I I went back and looked it up, and he was... I think he did all but first class. Okay. And he did. He also did the original X Men and, and X Two as well. Yeah, they're, they're, all the music has a very a general feel to it. It's yeah. beautiful music. I I really enjoyed listening to the soundtrack for Apocalypse, and I'll let you listen to a little bit of it here. Apocalypse is my favorite of the X-Men movies, but when I recently rewatched it on which is on Disney Plus for our uh, listeners, if you haven't seen it recently or want to rewatch it before you listen to our entire review, I would recommend you go back and watch it again. It is on Disney Plus right now yep. if you have Disney Plus. But I would say that I preferred First Class and Days of Future Past to this one. Those two obviously had a lot more of my favorite characters though to be honest first class only had a a cameo of wolverine so i don't know why (laughs) just like this one really only had a cameo yeah this one was a camp and the cameo of wolverine in this one was sort of it sort of felt forced yeah (laughs) well it definitely gave it the feeling of that this was definitely a reboot because there were things that happened in the previous x-men's that Mm -hmm. were different in this X-Men, which showed that the reboot had changed some of the storylines. I think they almost did that on purpose in order to show that they were different 
I guess, universal timelines or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know whether it was Days of Future Past that was supposedly reset everything, but it definitely was a different uh, timeline. Because, you know, it's interesting, at the end of Days of Future Past, Logan is actually teaching in the school. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm wondering how they're going to get from that to, you know, from where we see him in Apocalypse to where he's teaching in the school because yeah. they didn't even know who he was when they found, saw him in Apocalypse. Yeah. For me, the X-Men movies are second class. <laughs> they don't tie together very well. Well, it's <laughs> – I guess I just – I don't appreciate them as much as I liked, you know, the MCU proper, mm-hmm. starting with uh, Iron Man and, and going all the way through Endgame. Mm-hmm. I felt like – Days of Future Past was like the Kelvin universe reset of the X-Men universe. And I never liked those. I don't like it when comic books do it either. You know. Mm-hmm. But they have to because they keep having to rehash the exactly. same stories over and over again and for a new generation. Yeah. That's just that's just weak writing to me. <laughs> come, come up <laughs> with new stuff, guys. Come on. How many different Spider-Mans are there? Yeah, I have to admit, I did really like the first X-Men movie. And one of the things that I did appreciate about this movie was that it pays homage quite a bit to the first X-Men movie, mm. and right down to the final lines of the movie. And there were flashes in there where you kept going, oh, they're saying, good job, original X-Men movie, because they kept yeah. doing that throughout. But yeah, it, I think it, they were trying to show how the timelines were coming together, like, but they were different. They were the same, but different because it was a different, it was a reboot in a different timeline. So I think that's what they were trying to do. Yeah. Still, I mean, even though I consider them second class in the Marvel universe, that's mm-hmm. still a pretty high bar. <laughs> I I, I yeah. do enjoy the X-Men movies. It's, they're great popcorn fodder. And, you know, if I'm flipping through the channels and there's an X-Men movie on, you can bet I'll settle on it. <laughs> yeah yeah even if they're out of t- sequence like the wolverine which i think i've only seen the wolverine once but it's so completely out of sequence with anything it's a standalone movie that doesn't fit but it was really fun to watch i think I've what was the content of was that the one where he was captured by striker no no that that there's two of them there's wolverine and the wolverine and oh. the wolverine of if I remember right, is the one where this that whole Asian thing, and he, uh, where he doesn't have the adamantium, he's just got the 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 bones that you know the claw bone the bone claws, and they get cut off at the end or something like that. So yeah, it's it's weird. It, I've only seen it once, but it it's completely out of sequence and doesn't fit with anything else. It had Logan Wolverine in it, so I had to watch it because he's my favorite character. Hugh Jackman is probably one of my favorite uh, – I say my favorite actors, but he's the actor I most wish I had his talent and body and presence and everything, you know? He's <laughs> he's mean, the he one I most envy, sing. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what's so cool is that he's also the only one that survived the reboot. So he's the only yeah, original true. cast member that's well, he regenerated. still playing. Yeah. They yeah. tried to kill him off for the reboot and get a new Wolverine, and he regenerated. <laughs> him and Deadpool, they're just going to live to the end. Yeah. It is interesting that, you know, as we get into discussing this movie, that Apocalypse has the same power as Wolverine, because we see at the very beginning of the movie that he's he's assuming the powers by transitioning into a mutant that has the similar yeah. power set to Wolverine's. You know, uh, in our notes, as we prepared uh, the show outline for this recording, we have, just as we always do, initial reactions at the at the beginning. But both of us have mm-hmm. seen this movie multiple times. So it's, for me, yeah. it's more like fourth reactions or maybe fifth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not really initial reactions. Yeah. They're just our general General thoughts about the movie. <laughs> so I was paying attention to what I was noticing this time watching it with my Are You Just Watching glasses on that I didn't really pay attention to as I would watch it before. 
And a couple of the things stood out to me. The, the, the first was how much more suspension of disbelief is required for X-Men Apocalypse. And I think really any of the other X-Men movies, definitely more than first class, uh, maybe not days of future past, but there were, you know, there's this one scene and we're okay to not worry about spoilers. Right. I would hope not. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a four year old movie. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it, like you've said, go watch it. <laughs> then come back to us. Yeah. Um, so one of the scenes, Apocalypse instructs Magneto to start ripping the ferrous metal infrastructure out of the planet and use it to construct this great civilization. And it shows, you know, scenes from all over the world of metal starting to move and get torn out of the ground and, and, you know, just like bridges twisting and yeah. yeah. And of course, on the screen, not all the metals were moving at the same rate. They weren't all suffering the same uh, level of magnetic attraction, which didn't make any sense at all. You know, <laughs> railroad cars were moving, but they'd go right by cars that are just sitting there. Well, you know, most cars are made out of aluminum, and that's not Ferris. Uh, okay. All right. I'll give you that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the pace that they show it happening, I was thinking about it. And if he continued at that pace, it would take him centuries to actually tear everything out. He'd die of I don't know. old age. I don't know. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. probably one of the – I mean, he, he wouldn't have to disrupt it that much to destroy the world. I mean – that's what the point was, is not gathering it all to where he was. It was just to rip things up enough to But he was supposed to be world. using it to build a new a civil that a was new what civilization. I understood. No, what I understood was that he was just ripping apart the current world so they could build uh, a new civilization. That was the way I understood it. All right, all right. I could be wrong, but that was my understanding. <laughs> uh another thing that jumped out to me was uh the how many deaths their actions must have caused. I actually tried to look up movie death counts to to see where this one rated. And it was actually pretty low until I realized that the movie death count, every, every movie death count website that I checked, and it was like four different ones, they all only counted on-screen deaths. Ah. Uh. So, you know, if the building collapses or all the planes are pulled out of the air or something like that, there's no way to guess. And, of course, nothing really compares to the snap. <laughs> the snap or actually when we were talking about Independence Day, oh, we yeah. were theorizing the death count would have been higher than the snap because the snap only took half the population. Right. And Independence Day wiped out all the major cities within like three yeah, days. Did, didn't we figure 40 – for the top 40 biggest cities. Yeah, it was something like that. It was in the yeah. wiki that I found. It was pretty devastating. Why do we keep doing these movies where everybody's <laughs> wiped out? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Time to do Life of Pi or August Rush <laughs> or something where everybody is just is happy at the end. But, you know, at the end of these movies, everybody's always happy and they all recover. <laughs> Really? It, it, like, they're looking at, at, you know, another decade of, of recovery and death and destruction before they can even adjust. Yeah. Oh, anyway, I did like uh, the subtlety. There were a lot more subtleties in X-Men Apocalypse, like you mentioned, nods to the rest of the franchise, which I always enjoyed, mm -hmm. the, you know, the Easter eggs and stuff like that. There was uh, There was a lot of imagery that was... You know, <laughs> hit him over the head with it, but that's yeah. They weren't subtle, that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 that's a lot more from the comic books too, though, because the comic books mm -hmm. they don't do subtlety anymore. I say anymore. I don't know that they ever really did do subtlety well. Well, you look at their particular slot of audience. You know, their, yeah, exactly. Their niche. I mean, teenage boys are typically not very. Yeah, they uh, need they need a little help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was trying to figure out a nice way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> the 
they have to have somebody hold their hand to point out that the stuff that they're trying to get across. Having been a teenage boy and still am mentally, if you ask my kids, it's okay for me to say that. <laughs> I did want to mention that I thought Jennifer Lawrence did a uh, a particularly good job with nonverbal communication in this one. I'm not a huge fan of Jennifer Lawrence. She's a good actress. Mm-hmm. You know, I've enjoyed her work. Really, the only other thing I can think of that I've seen her in is the is the, the Susan Collin movies. Yeah, the Hunger Games ones. But here she plays the reluctant hero. And her facial expressions, which she when she's has, not blue. <laughs> well, even when she's blue, I mean, she she puts yeah. on a couple different faces, and she yeah. maintains the same facial expressions. They they use those to good effect. I thought mm-hmm. the one thing that I wanted to mention, I'm not really sure why this was the case, but in the opening sequence of Apocalypse. They show the essence transfer that's happening uh, mm-hmm. 3,000 years ago or something like that. And the technology they're showing is very clearly alien technology. They even show alien writing on it. Yeah. Apocalypse being blue and bald with that, that facial styling, it's very clearly from Cree blood. Cree being a race of aliens from the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's confusing to me as to why they don't do anything other than provide visual hints to, you know, the Cree influence in the creation of the Apocalypse character. Uh, Although it occurs to me that it may be that the Cree were owned by the other half of the the Marvel copyright. Marvel Dynasty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They actually do use them. They show up in Captain Marvel. So they were probably planning to use them all along and said, uh, no, you can't do that. Yeah, it's interesting. There are aspects of that that whole scene that made me think of multiple movies. I had multiple movie illusions going through my head through, through this whole movie. Like what? And, well, the biggest one would be Stargate, the oh, beginning mm-hmm. The Egyptian feel and the and all of that, and yeah, there were ways that Apocalypse moved and talked that reminded me very much of the raw like character old. in in yeah, the old, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that. I I got that vibe. Yeah, so that was the biggest vibe I got. But there were there were other, you know, it was it was like three or four movies mashed together. But Stargate was definitely the big one. Stargate is one of my favorite older movies yeah when it came out it would just blew my mind when it came out and especially when you go and look to see how they filmed a lot of the a lot of the big people scenes mm -hmm. they just filmed like you know 40 people running over a hill and then computerized to make them into a large the rest yeah (laughs) that one was roland emmerich wasn't it i think so yeah, he that was just a fabulous movie. So I, yeah. I'm happy when anything you know that was a to tour that, de force. But. I enjoyed the Stargate series too, and I'm I'm excited to hear that they they might be doing another one. I haven't watched as much of the Stargate series. I just they weren't where I could get at them when they first came out. And yeah, the first the they first released on Showtime, I think. Yeah, I don't remember. I just back remember in ninety two. No, I, not ninety two. Yeah, I did watch some of. Stargate Atlantis, which I thought was a very interesting concept, mm. but I, I think the the original Stargate series kind of turned me off because they used the same names of the characters in yep. the Stargate movie, but used different actors, and that kind of bothered me. I was like, if you're gonna just just use different characters, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had a lot of themes to talk about, but I think this episode we're going to pretty much concentrate on the Apocalypse character. Because oh, definitely, when I first watched the movie critically, which is why this came up for us to do, is I actually watched it on Disney Plus about a week ago, a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, there is so much biblical worldview stuff in here. It would be a shame that we didn't do this movie. <laughs> and even though they kind of present Apocalypse as being a very godlike figure, you know, with the whole beginning of him, the transference and the 
in the pyramid and all the Egyptians mm-hmm. worshiping him and, and everything. The more I thought about it, the more I thought that the better allusion to scripture would be him as a Satan. And he's the master of destruction in this movie. And so it really, it makes sense to present him as a type of Satan because he, he seems to fit all of the characteristics of Satan. Number one, he is not, God. He's very powerful, but he's not all powerful. And he's definitely not all knowing, which is the reason why mm-hmm. he wants to take over Charles, Charles's powers, because Charles is sort of all knowing. He can at least read everybody's minds if he wants to, right. if he cares to. The power that he's after is actually the combination of Charles and Cerebro, right? He says he wants to be everywhere. No. Well, he said that he already had the power to be Cerebro, because remember, he's the one that he uses Charles to send that message to all the mutants. He says, you, oh, that's true. Charles is like, yeah, I yeah, can't yeah, send yeah. that message. Yeah, because I don't have Cerebro. And he says, you don't need Cerebro. You have me. So he replaces Cerebro because they destroyed it. <laughs> it did seem odd to me since, you know, mental uh, telepathy is like one of the original mutant powers and one of the more common ones that shows up in comic books. It seems odd to me that of all the powers this guy has collected over the millennia, you know, he somehow missed telepathy. I think it's like he's one square short of, of mutant power bingo. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and and it may just be that, you know, Charles is, he's not just a telepath. He's, he's linked to all, all humanity. So that was, you know, that whole Cerebro thing is that he could not only find all the humans, he could find all the mutants, and he could communicate to them anywhere in the world as long as he had a power source to mm-hmm. to push him to that level. So, And he was very careful, for the most part, to hide how strong he was because he knew that it would terrify people. But, yeah, it's interesting because most people think of Satan as being equal to God, like the opposite of God. But scripturally, if you look at him, he's only a fallen angel and he does, he's not omnipotent. He can't be, right. he's not omniscient. He's not all knowing. He's basically a, a spiritual being on the par with a physical being. And the power that he has, he only has because God gives it to him. So he mm-hmm. doesn't have any power over the world uh, greater than what God allows him to have. And 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 I think Apocalypse really fits into that. It's like he thinks that he's godlike and he's definitely you know, he's he's on par with Lucifer's desire to be a god. Yeah. But he falls way short of it. I've often wondered Satan is the prince of lies and we accept that. I but I've wondered is Satan capable of deceiving himself? I mean <laughs> We can we can trick ourselves into believing we can dance or we can sing. <laughs> I mean, we really can't, as you know, karaoke shows us. But it, I wonder if Satan is so good at lying that he can make himself believe that he is God, or that he is equal to God. <laughs> e- equal to God, because uh, we've discussed a, a dozen times or so how the the standard narrative out of out of Hollywood is that God and Satan are two sides of the same coin seeking, you know, a, an ultimate balance between good and evil. Right. But that's not really what it is. But has Satan no. convinced himself that's the case or does Satan I I like to think Satan knows that the end is coming and he's just trying to wreak as much havoc as he can. Yeah. Before he's cast down. <laughs> Yeah. And and it's really interesting because a lot of people think that Satan rules hell and he doesn't. He actually is given power over earth, but hell is is not his domain, it's his prison. Yeah. So, you know, what what is that phrase that a lot of atheists say that's better to rule in hell than serve in heaven? Serve in heaven. And it's like, uh, but you that's the thing. You don't get to reign in hell. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody does. Hell is a, a prison and a and a torture chamber for the damned. And I use that in damnation, not, you know, as a bad word. But Exactly. 
that's what hell is. And Satan doesn't rule there. That's his prison. And mm-hmm. he's given power over the world because of sin and because of the times that we live in and, and God's grace. But it's not, you know, he doesn't rule it. He's not a ruler. Yeah. And he he's still subject to God and God's edicts. And and I think that that's, you know, like you said, maybe he does te- tempt himself into not being able to see. I mean, his very first appearance in scripture is he's questioning the word of God. I mean, he's he's telling Eve, you know, did God really say this? Yeah. So his role as tempter, his role as teller of lies has just that enough of that, you know, he he didn't necessarily say God didn't say it. He just, he asked Eve, you know, did God really say? He's the prince of lies and the master of manipulation. Right. Right. We see that with Apocalypse too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's one of the reasons why when I watched it, the you know, I watched it first just because it was only the second time I'd seen the movie. And so I was just sitting back enjoying it. But it, it kept like nagging at me that this was a movie we needed to talk about because of the worldview issues in it. And especially when you see so many of the characters behaving in scriptural ways. I mean, there's there's characters that pray in this movie, and we'll talk about that later. And Apocalypse himself says that he has been around for a millennium and he's gone by many names. And the three names that they give that he gives in the movie are Elohim, Shen, and Ra. And Elohim, of course, is Hebrew, named for God used frequently in the Hebrew Bible. Yeah, it looks like it means God. But it's really interesting about the set of names because I happened to rewatch one of the trailers. It just came up when I was listening to the soundtrack and they had that that same quote in the trailer, but it was a different set of names. It was Ra, mm-hmm. Krishna, and Yahweh. And I'm curious as to why they would have changed it, but because the trailers obviously are edited together before they finish the final edit of the movie. So somewhere along the way, they decided to change that list of names. Oh, they, they were definitely worried about taking off the Krishna guys. <laughs> Can you imagine them all showing up offering flowers? <laughs> it may have been more of a date thing because I don't know that Krishna is old enough to be. Oh, yeah, that's true. And then Yahweh, I'm not entirely sure why they didn't use Yahweh, but it may have been they felt like that was a little bit too much, you know, him claiming to be God yeah. by using the actual name name of the uh, Judeo-Christian God. Yeah, But Elohim but is a little less known. The covenantial name yeah. of God. I don't know. They may have actually thought of, that they might anchor somebody and changed it. <laughs> Seeing as there are a lot of worshipers of the one true God who goes by the name of Yahweh. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple, you know, it's yeah. in isolated communities across the globe. <laughs> Not that we tend to take as much offense as if they had used the name Allah, but that wouldn't have worked because Allah doesn't date back nearly as far as Yahweh does, so... Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, Muhammad's God is the same God of Abraham, so or at yeah, least that's, that's, he doesn't that's show up how in, they hold it. Yeah, yeah, but he his actual name doesn't show up in any writings until well past Christ. So it's not. Mm-hmm. It's more of a recent faith. Well, did didn't I? I might be getting myself in trouble here, but didn't Muhammad <laughs> live two and a half centuries after? Christ? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That whole okay. religion yeah, started yeah. Okay. long after Christ. So, yeah, they, they're using Allah wouldn't have fit very well because according to the timeline in this particular – and that may have actually been the reason why they, they discarded Krishna too because they needed to, to have names of gods that predated the actual events that happened at the beginning of the movie, which were posted yeah. as – 3600 BCE. So they had to go for the really ancient gods. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I wasn't Little even G. aware. I didn't even recognize Shen. And I think, uh, I think that was a Chinese one that means spirit, the spiritual element of a person's psyche. <laughs> uh, so he was called that, huh? Interesting. Yeah. The boogeyman. He's the boogeyman. <laughs> 
But going back to to how the apocalypse character definitely mimics Satan more, mm-hmm. he he really does do a lot of manipulation, and he claims a parentage role mm-hmm. over mutants, mutants worldwide. Yeah, because just just like Matthew mentioned in our facebook discussion group he is setting up a cult and it, it it's meeting all of the requirements and the creative team wants it to be a cult because they pick out the horsemen to reflect the forearms that every cult has the the military arm and the political arm the youth arm and the the sexual allure arm and you know apocalypse is setting himself as the the cult leader and the father of all mutant hood and uh, just calling everybody to him and calling for the destruction of of humanity mhm and it's it's interesting because in previous movies that was magneto's role so magneto is actually becoming a servant to somebody greater than him, but it's the role that he was presenting, at least in the original X-Men movie, mm-hmm. of trying to be the, the caretaker of all mutants in that kind of a role. But they made the mistake of giving Magneto a good bone in his body. <laughs> and yeah. this this apocalypse guy definitely doesn't have one of those. Yeah. Yeah, he, he definitely, and he tempts people too, because like Aurora... She is a good character in most of the X-Men movies. She's one of the X-Men. She's already part of, you know, the X-Men when we see her at the beginning of X-Men, the original X-Men. But in this movie, she's just a youth running around, you know, stealing to stay alive, basically. An Aladdin character. Yeah. Street rat. Street rat. Yeah, I was trying to come up with the right word for it. So she and she's her hero is Mystique. Because of, you know, the actions that Mystique played in Days of Future Past, she's become a national, or not a national, a global hero to all mutants. And mm-hmm. her goodness is something that, and and power, and are, are something that mutants are wanting to attain. She's like the role model now, not that she wants it, and we'll talk about that later. But Aurora is looking up to Mystique, and so she is tempted into the role of you know the youth character by and I'm not even entirely sure that it was her will to be that I mean it was like apocalypse just kind of stole her off the streets and didn't really give her a chance of to say yay or nay yeah she's she sucked into it despite her reservations because she even makes the comment you know that this is the 80s you don't do this kind of stuff you don't break these kind of rules yeah she stands up to him at first. She was the only one that, that they showed the actual – well, no, because they did for Warren too. They showed the actual conversion, you know, Apocalypse converting them and, and empowering them. Right. They did for Warren and they did for Aurora. He just sort of talked Magneto into it. Yeah. They never well, even no- showed an increase of Magneto's power, did they? No, I don't think he needed to because Magneto yeah. was already so powerful. And it was more just uh, convincing him to come over to his side and showing him that he could get his revenge. I mean, that was that whole section where he was yeah. you know, tearing up the concentration camp and, you know, the, where his parents were killed was, you know, giving him the opportunity to let loose the the hate and the anger and the vengeance that he buried deep inside his soul. Because... As we know from previous movies, Charles kept trying to convince him that there was good in him and that he didn't need to give in to those those bad things that were part of his nature. And and here we have Apocalypse just turning everybody bad. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't have a good bone in his body. He just he wants to rule the world and he's quite willing to destroy the entire world so that he can rule it. Yeah, on multiple levels. Yeah. And it's only the strong that will survive. Yeah. Yeah. The Last Horseman, Psylocke. I can't actually remember her having any lines in this movie, which is interesting. She did. Could, did she? Yeah. Uh, she's played by Olivia Munn, who I think has yeah, gone she- on to win an Oscar, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah. When he first went into that scene where she joins them, she does have a couple lines there. 
Oh, that's where, right. Where, uh, and yeah. Yeah. There's lines when they're picking up Warren. Yeah. But she doesn't have a lot of lines. <laughs> She's just there to look sexy. Yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> well, we can definitely pull a lot of scripture into this. So we don't want to go too far without uh, pulling in some of Oh yeah. Numerous yeah. verses that we have <laughs> we've pulled together for this. When it comes to talking about him as a tempting spirit and a manipulator, there's some verses for that. First John four, one through three says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. We've been going through judges in uh, our sermon series at church, and Mm -hmm. uh, over the last couple weeks we've done Gideon. And this verse has been on the forefront of my mind because Gideon – actually test God, not once, not twice, but three mm-hmm. times before they defeat the, um, is it the Midianites? I think they're after. That sounds right. And it, it's of interest to me because we today, and even the audience of John's letter here, we have the teachings of the disciples and of Jesus. Mm-hmm to test spirits against. And that's what he's saying here is every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ comes and has come in the flesh is from God. But in the old Testament, they didn't have that standard. So when you see Gideon testing, God doesn't get irritated. No, he, he just says, all right, you know what? Grab some wine and food and put it on that rock. Now touch your staff to it. Poof, gone. (laughs) And, okay, throw the fleece on the ground. Let's see where the dew collects. God uses it to serve his purpose and to inform us in this day and age. But nobody, despite Apocalypse's claims throughout the entire movie, nobody seems to really call him out on his claim of godhood. Well, Charles does. Because, you know, Charles has that line, you're just another false god, and whoever's left to follow you when this is all over, they will betray you. So Charles was pretty sure he was not a real god. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's like, you can't even read everybody's minds like I can, and I'm not god, so I know you're not god. <laughs> yeah. Charles is probably in a better position to know what approaches that level. Yeah. But another thing that I was thinking of when we were putting together the scripture is whether or not you're, what were the terms from our discussion on Harriet, a continuationalist or a cessationist? When it comes to miracles, no Christian can deny the supernatural. Right. It, I mean, it it is a core, <laughs> it is a core tenant of Scripture. If you deny the supernatural, then you have to deny the resurrection. And if you deny the resurrection, then you're not really wor- worshiping a risen God. Yeah. But in the Old Testament, they had all kinds of gods. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, going back to Gideon again. Gideon's father was a priest of Baal and Asherah, despite, it says, having taught Gideon the history of of the Hebrew people. So you could almost say that Gideon's dad served three different gods. Mm -hmm. And I don't know in the Old Testament if these other gods ever performed supernatural acts. It's in... You know, certainly in Exodus, there's a section where Moses performs his miracles and then the court magician does the same stuff. Right. But, you know, I've always come away believing the court magician is doing it through trickery while Moses is doing it through God. Right. But Deuteronomy 32, 16 through 18 tells us that even if there are supernatural signs, we know where they come from. It says, they provoked his jealousy with different gods. They enraged him with detestable practices. They sacrificed to demons, not God, to gods they had not known, new gods that had just arrived, which your ancestors did not fear. You ignored the rock who gave you birth. You forgot the God who gave birth to you. 
So even if there are other supernatural uh, forces out there, they're not the one true God. They're the spirits. So, I, you know, it, it says in Ephesians 6, 12 through 13, it's the, you know, the beginning of the armor of God passage. Mm-hmm. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God that you so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. So, yeah, I think that. There is the supernatural spirits. They're just not on the same level as God. They're not yeah. as powerful as he is. So they're either the fallen angels from, you know, from Lucifer's fall or, or other, other spiritual beings, but they're not. And I would say that the vast majority of the false gods of the, you know, the ancient peoples weren't, didn't even have spirits to back them. They were just making stone and wooden clods and worshiping them. Yeah. And, and living with with the concept, there's a name for it. They were worshiping elements of nature, right? Though one of my favorite uh, accounts from scripture is when you know David is is fleeing from Saul, and he goes to the Philistines, and they they have captured the Ark of the Covenant. They put it in with their their god. I think it was Dag or something like that, and the god fell over in and oh, in, yeah. in front of the Ark it of the Covenant. Stand up, and, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't stand up, and it eventually cracked uh, its hands and and uh, he- head off from falling over. Every- they would put it back up, and it would fall back over again. <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought that was you know funny that you know they thought that they could you know put the two gods together. You know, <laughs> it's it, it amazes me that it was such a common practice because you know in in. Near East mythology, it's always competition between the gods. Mm-hmm. You look at Roman mythology and Greek mythology, the gods of the, the pantheons were always fighting. Mm-hmm. But in the Bible, we see several times where altars to Baal and uh, Ishara poles are mounted one right next to each other as if they were husband and wife. Because Ishara right. was a goddess of fertility and Baal was just Baal, I guess. I, I don't know what... Uh, Baal or Baal was was the god of. That's why the feminists can't stand our faith because they don't feel like there's an equal female god, you know, that sits equal to God, that they think it's all just a way to hold up the patriarchy. (laughs) So when Moses comes down from Zion, they've already built the golden calf and they don't think anything of it. But, of course, they're coming out of Egypt, too, where uh, Egypt mm-hmm. also had a collection of gods, which I think in Egyptian history has been a single god and then broken into multiple gods and then merged back into a single god at one time, depending upon the whims of the pharaoh at the time. But there is only the one god. And you make a point that I think is important, and it's, this is a little bit of a bunny trail, but I want, I want to throw this in because of where you're going with that discussion. There's a line in the movie where Magneto is talking to his daughter, who ends up being killed, and he's singing a lullaby to her. And she says, where did you learn that song, Papa? And he says, I learned it from my parents, and they learned it from their parents, and them from theirs. And one day, you'll sing it to your children, too. And when I heard that line, it reminded me of through all of the periods of time that God led the Israelites through the wilderness and into the promised land, he kept encouraging them over and over again to remember this and to teach it to their children. That when they, when they crossed the Jordan River, they took stones out of the middle of the Jordan River and they stacked them on the shore. And the reasoning, and this is in Joshua, I believe, the reasoning was that Whoever saw those stones would say, "Why? What do those stones represent?" And then they would teach them, you know, that God led us through the the wilderness and He crossed us over into Jordan and gave us the land He promised us. And it was a symbol so that they would teach their children, and their children would always be curious and want to know. And I think that when we don't teach our children, we don't pass 
these understandings on, it makes them so much easier to be led astray by the culture of their environment. And we're seeing that in our culture today because we see, you know, our, our young people are being completely led astray. They're forsaking the gods of their fathers and the faith of their parents because they have not been taught the things of the past. They have not been taught the religious things by their churches and by their parents. And so they mm -hmm. are they're not prepared for a world that will lead them astray. And, you know, the point that you're making of the Israelites being so succumbed to the practices of the Egyptians so that they would make themselves an idol, even though God had just was leading them by day with a cloud and by night with the pillar of fire. And they still decided to make a, an idol to worship. And we don't even have God that much in front of us today. Yeah. But that was the cautionary tale of the Israelites, because when you see them going through the, the judges, you know, they would follow God for a generation, and then they would not follow God, and then he'd punish them, and then they'd cry out for help, <laughs> and then he'd send them a judge, and they'd turn back to God for, a, you know, a few years, and then they'd sin and, and turn away again. And that's what happens when you don't keep God in, in the forefront, and you follow yeah. him and teach the next generation. You have to teach the next generation. And it leaves them open to the kind of temptation and manipulation that we see, you know, Apocalypse doing in, in this. I mean, as he even calls them lost, he says, you're my children and you're lost and you follow blind leaders. The, these false gods, systems of the weak, and they've ruined the world. And they're vulnerable to that because mm -hmm. they haven't been taught anything different. Yeah. It's why it's so important that Christian families raise their children to believe that. And frankly, I haven't done a, a good enough job. You know, it, it's interesting. The older I get, the more I look back and I realize things that I should have done differently. And it's why generationally we should be imparting uh, the wisdom of age to the next generation and the generation thereafter. And we don't do that as much anymore, certainly not in the United States where, you know, my family is, has actually been on two continents for the last three years. With my son having just come home from Germany the week after my daughter went to England. So, mm -hmm. you know, my grandkids are uh, celebrating birthdays over in, in England and I'm not there to to help participate in their upbringing. And that's sort of the society that we are coming into with our global nature. Mm -hmm. It's before the railroad, you know, 90% of people never left the bounds of their own town. Yeah. So, or never yeah. went to a, a market outside of the town in which they were born or the township, I guess, since most were born <laughs> in, in their homes. Yeah. But I, I did want to point to, even though there are, are plenty of imposters among gods calling themselves gods in the Bible, there there are also going to be imposters among believers. Christians, mm -hmm. Matthew seven twenty one through 23 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And yeah. That's one of the scariest verses in the New Testament. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it even leaves doubt as to whether, whether or not the people saying, Lord, Lord, whether they were sincere. Yeah. What we do know, I mean, one of the – another literary illusion here. C.S. Lewis wrote his series mm. that was supposed to be kind of like a parallel gospel but in the last battle, they made it look like you could follow any god and still get into heaven, the the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia. And that was where I departed from C.S. Lewis, because I think that verse especially is saying you can do it in any name, but none of the names work. Yeah. Because Jesus is the one, the only way. You can't follow Krishna or Allah or Muhammad or any of those other faiths you know, in with a true heart and make it to heaven. You have to follow Christ. He is the only way to heaven. The, the false gods will lead you astray. There's no, there is no correct path following any of the other so-called gods. And you, you can't just profess God. You have to bear 
his fruit too. Like mm-hmm. it tells us in James, faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what I picture when I see these guys saying, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons? Sure, they did. They may have done these things in God's name, but if they didn't evidence a fruit of the spirit in their lives, mm-hmm. if if they didn't have love and they're like Simon the magician who who asked yeah. um, who asked for, can I have that power too? <laughs> <laughs> it's like they they were just excited about you know the power and what they could do with the power. They mm-hmm. weren't following Christ authentically. So yeah, it has to be an authentic faith. It can't be something that you're just doing for the sake. And, you know, I'm going to cut my own self off here. It's really easy. It has been really easy in the West to put on the the outer picture of faith in order to fit into culture. But I think we're getting here in the States to the point, you know, it's actually is becoming, you know, a bad thing to be a Christian in society. And so we're going to start, I think, seeing a lot of the chaff being weeded out because they're not going to endure persecutions for Christ because they're not really Christians. They're just, yeah. they're country club Christians. They're doing it for to be seen as Christians, mm-hmm. but they're not really Christians. Back when being a Christian was cool. Yeah. And in our culture today, it's becoming less popular to be a Christian. And so a lot of that chaff is going to be weeded out. Yeah. And, you know, persecution does strengthen the church. So Yes, it does. There was one other, there were a couple other verses that I wanted to talk about. First Peter 5 8 says that we're to be sober minded and alert because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And that is, you know, just a warning to the Christians that we're not immune to the manipulation and the temptation that, that Satan puts before us. God will let him try ours. He, he let the Satan try Job. So there's no, reason why he wouldn't give Satan the power to tempt us just to to see Mm. how pure our faith is. But he always gives us a a way to avoid temptation. He's never going to to abandon us to that. And in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. And that's a reminder Mm -hmm. to us as Christians that we're no better than anybody else. We all started in the same place. And it's easy for us to be self-righteous. In fact, my pastor just this last Sunday, uh, he's been preaching a a, uh, series on humility of course, when you're talking about humility, you have to deal with pride. And so his last sermon was all about self-righteousness. And it was hard hitting. It was hard to sit through. But it's all something that we need to remember as Christians that we started out as sinners like everybody else. And it's only through the grace of God that we're not in bondage to sin anymore because of Christ. But we didn't do anything on our own to, to get into that state. That was all God. And so all of the people who fall prey to the to the devil and Satan through the temptation, we shouldn't be angry at them. We should love them and do everything in our power to reach them for the kingdom because yeah. they're lost. And, you know, that's actually in line with what we see with Apocalypse in the X-Men movie, too, too is not only is he not humble, not only is he incredibly arrogant, But Mm -hmm. he calls his followers to be arrogant as well. Yeah. Which is exactly what we see for followers of, for the slaves, slaves to sin. Mm -hmm. They brace arrogance because humility is a weakness for them. Mm -hmm. Apocalypse goes around. He, he says, tell the strongest among you, those with the greatest power of this earth will be yours. So much for the weak inheriting the earth in his view, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's so much a satanic character. <laughs> yeah. He really is a, what you might picture the demonic gods of the Old Testament to have been if they were written by Hollywood. Right. Yeah. Though we know from scripture that unlike Apocalypse, Lucifer is, a, is an angel of light. So he's beautiful. 
And that's what makes it so much worse. I mean, I know it was uh, Paradise Lost that they presented Satan as being something, you know, ugly. Yeah. But it's not ugliness that attracts the world. It's beauty. And it's that superficial beauty that is so manipulative. You know, it's the thing that lures you away is the beauty of it. So sin, it doesn't look ugly. It looks beautiful. It looks tempting. When Satan came to Eve in the garden, he presented the fruit. You know, did he asked, first of all, did God really say? And then he presented this fruit that was beautiful. And so Eve chose it and ate of it because it it was presented to her as a beautiful and desirable thing. Right. And so that's what Satan does, is he makes things look desirable and Apocalypse does that to a certain degree because he represents the freedom that the mutants didn't have in that culture. And so the most desirable thing to them was to be free to be themselves. And I don't know that necessarily all of them desired to rule the world, but they wanted to be free to be themselves and not live in fear. So he he was presenting it that way and as a desirable. Yeah, that was the foundation that he built his vices on, right? Mm-hmm. That's how he lured Magneto in. That's how he lured uh, Aurora uh, Storm in mm-hmm. by pointing out their their different levels of persecution mm-hmm. and promising salvation from it. Right. Which, you know, that is going to be a really great place to break because we are actually going to make this a two-parter and we have a very significant theme that we want to talk about at the beginning of our next episode. And so stay tuned because (laughs) Mm. we're going to deal with this concept of persecution in our next episode, because it, it is a major theme that not only runs through this particular X-Men movie, but through (laughs) all of the X-Men movies. And all of the comic books. Yeah. So, and and it's something that is uh, a culturally significant right now. So we're, we're going to deal with that. And so, We have portrayed Apocalypse as a chaotic Satan, and we hope that our listeners all know the true God. And if you don't, we ask that you would reach out to somebody, either one of us or through our group, or look for a church in your neighborhood or somewhere, but ask about it. If you don't know the truth, the true God, so that when you die, you can stand before judgment. Not on your own, not through your own self-righteousness, but through the blood of Christ. If you if you don't have that promise, I just sincerely hope that you seek it out because God is looking for you. God hasn't left you. And it is a promise that we don't have to fall back on the temptations of the world and the, and the, the world Satans because they're everywhere. They fill the world. They're on our TVs. They're in our movies. They're in our news. They're in our newspapers. They're everywhere, and don't succumb to the Satans of this world. We so want you to have the promise of eternity through Christ. Mm. Very true. All right. (laughs) So if you want to join our community, as I said at the beginning of our podcast, it's areyoujustwatching.com slash community. That takes you directly to our Facebook page. We have set it up now where all you have to do is answer three simple questions and and you are automatically led into the group if you answer those questions. And make sure that you answer them all, because if you don't answer them all, you will then be put on hold for one of us to accept you in. So you have to get in automatically, you have to answer all three. And they're not hard questions. They're not hard questions, no. We want to thank so much our supporters. We are monthly supported currently by Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman. And they have been... Uh, holding up this podcast on their financial shoulders for a while. We really appreciate all four of them. If you would like and would consider uh, giving us a donation or committing to a monthly gift, it doesn't have to be large. Every little bit helps us keep this podcast going. Please go to patreon.com slash are you just watching? I am uh, working on making it possible to give to us through PayPal. So if you're interested in that option, please contact us and let us know. You can comment on our show notes at areyoujustwatching.com slash 109. 
You can call us at 513-818-2959. You can leave a voicemail or you can text that number. You, that number will accept texts as well. Oh, nice. You can email at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And you can follow myself on Twitter at efranklin. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rencheple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And we are on uh, pretty much every way that you can get a podcast, but we would really appreciate reviews. So if you haven't given us a review on whatever medium you use to get our podcast, we highly like you to just go click through right now and tell the world what you think about us. And like and share us on Facebook and share our episodes on Facebook so that it broadens our audience. If, if your friends, if you think your friends would like our discussions, then share our discussions with them and give us a chance to uh, invite them into our living rooms and, and hear us talk about movies. I believe that's it. We really appreciate you listening. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a member of the Christian Podcast Community. Find more interesting podcasts on theology and Christian living at podcast.strivingforeternity.org.